0: What's up, and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly quarantine look in pop culture. My name is Patchy, and with my co host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, are you still in quarantine up there?
1: Yeah, man. It's uh, phase one here in Mass, still. Uh, people seem to not really care anymore, so I have to care. Not yeah. great.
0: Yeah, uh, we're in phase two week away from phase three down here in westchester and uh you'd think it was over so um wear your mask people uh probably just a, a good idea in general um uh, i i don't hate the mask i'm not, not anti-mask at all how about you
1: no nah, it's fine i I've, I actually really laughed at some of the care and content we've gotten with people you know uh i'm not gonna wear my mask in the store you know i have my civil liberties and it's like wait a minute but like do we not remember like no shirt, no shoes, no service? No one thought that was a infringement on their fucking rights, right? It's the same fucking shit. You don't want to wear a mask? Don't go to the fucking store. I don't get what's yeah. so complicated.
0: Pre- pretty simple. Um, it's just people wanting to not be told what to do. Um, yep. And usually pretty hypocritical. But we won't stay too long on that. If you're... Watching and hearing our, our COVID takes, then you also probably want to hear our takes on pop culture. So hit that subscribe if you're watching on YouTube.com/slash pod and also got SoundCloud.com/slash pod to consume the podcast any way you want to. Let's start with Dave Chappelle. This past Thursday at midnight, or I guess Thursday going into Friday, dropped a surprise comedy special on YouTube, um, recorded last week on the sixth of uh, June in Yellow Springs, Ohio where he lives or close to where he lives for a private show private benefit um called Dave Chappelle and Friends to Talk with Punchlines. Uh I woke up Friday morning, Twitter was a buzz. Saw that Chappelle dropped a short special and saw a lot of clips out there. You know, it, it obviously titled 846 addressing the the George Floyd death a uh, reference to the time that uh, the officer was kneeling on George Floyd's neck until he, he murdered him. Um, Chappelle, I thought, was excellent in this special. Um, you know, it's not really a, a joke-filled thing. It's more of a monologue, Chappelle giving his thoughts on the current unrest in the country, um, specifically the aftermath of the George Floyd killing and in, in the protests. Dave, how did you feel just by like the tone of it what, what Chappelle was was saying and just overall this as a a special comedy special quote-unquote
1: yeah so i mean there's actually a comment in the youtube video it's like sorry that this is less refined or whatever um, i hope you understand something along those lines and that did definitely strike me it's like this is just a clip from an event as you said it was not a planned film special this was not a routine that he had done a few times before deciding to film it or filming it over multiple shows. So it's definitely different and unusual because we are in a different and usual time, I guess you could say. And I also thought it was really compelling. And as Dave said, not really particularly funny. I wouldn't call it a comedy special. He does make some jabs at people and ideas as he's wanted to do. But really, it's Dave uh, commenting on What's going on and like the only way I guess he can and thought he did did a pretty good job and there, I mean obviously you can quibble about things he said and didn't say or uh, line of thinking lines of thinking he could have pursued further but you know for a quick 30 minute clip about the current time uh, definitely one of the I think more resonant things I've heard so uh, I liked it
0: totally agree um... You know, it was it was fascinating uh, the the setup for the special where they're showing the uh, the seating arrangements. People that you know being I think six to ten feet away, they had to sit in these very specific areas, um, obviously because of COVID. And um, then Dave just gets on stage, and I think pretty quickly you can see the pain and anger and frustration, and I think just overall like flabbergasted. Like he has related to the situation, and I think his his points specifically about um how this isn't new, um how this is something that he's been talking about that other people in the black community have been talking about, and that really has just you know kind of gotten this groundswell recently um, really resonated as well as him, I think. Uh, commenting on his place in all of this, right? How he feels like he's okay taking a back seat to the younger people who are doing the work on the ground and kind of just being that like voice in the back. Um, I, I thought that this was one of the best statements I've seen from a celebrity um, talking out against, uh, you know, about this topic. And he kind of called out Don Lemon a little bit who had initially called out him and other black celebrities for not speaking out. What did you think about that? And that, that portion of the special.
1: Yeah. So this clip, this from Dave dropped. out, I believe it was the same day that we had that like, uh, compilation of celebrity clips owning up to Mm -hmm. white privilege and supremacy and stuff like that. I'll I'll be honest. I didn't actually watch that clip. I just saw (laughs) everyone shitting on it. And like that kind of like corny, bullshit even if it's well-intentioned i think is what dave was like uh even though he hadn't seen it yet, that's kind of like what he's like point is you don't want me to do that that doesn't serve anyone or help anyone right yeah. but i would say like people calling on like in dave's whole whole point about this was like the streets are going to act w- whether i say anything or not these people know they don't need me to tell them and he's right that's true but I think what people would reason people want him to speak up, especially someone like Donald Lemon, but really anyone is not to preach to the choir, but really to uh, say this to people that aren't in the streets that don't get it, you know, and he didn't really acknowledge that at all. So I did find that a little disappointing because it's like, you know, th- th- there is still good your platform can do beyond amplifying something you already believe. So I did find that a little off.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I definitely don't think Dave is a a perfect person as none of us are. Um, And I think he's certainly uh, still figuring out exactly what his role is in all of this. But um, I think this is a a great um, first step um, towards him being a leader and a voice in this. Hopefully, Um, you know, I think uh, pretty much everything I've seen in reaction to this has been positive. So I'm hoping that this will encourage him and and other comedians or other celebrities just in general to use their platform to uh, not necessarily do like the corny, like I'm gonna, you know, I, I take responsibility Mm -hmm. thing, but actually advocating for real change. And this actually brings me to something we haven't really talked about, but I feel like a celebrity who has handled this situation so much better than I ever expected is Kanye West. Right. Um, Kanye has not, spoken out during this time he's not made any major statements but what he has done is he's taken action to set up uh a financial things i'm not sure if it's a scholarship or a fundraiser or something like that for or make a donation to george Floyd's daughter he's donated to a lot of um black advocacy groups um and i think has just really um kind of put his money where his mouth where his mouth uh, i gladly isn't right now, yes. <laughs> so um, I'd like to see more celebrities doing things like that than these corny uh, scripted videos on Twitter. So, right? right.
1: Dave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I like I mean, there, there's some stuff in here that I guess you don't really need given the gravity of what's being discussed. Like he does call Candace Owens, Owens, and Laura Ingram a lot of names. And it's like you don't necessarily have to just call them names. You can just like pick them apart because of what they say and what they they do. You know, you don't actually have to just like go to like the first grade insults. But um, it was nice to hear talk talk uh, glowingly of LeBron, who has recently done a lot of uh, yeah activism in terms of uh, getting out the vote and stuff like that. So I think I think my my favorite quip too is probably when you know Dave kind of he goes through a lot of the famous deaths we've had the hands of police right like eric garner and Flandre castile etc and i think one of the times where it was really cutting was when he mentioned uh the nra and the only time they were in favor of assault rifle ban was of course when the black panthers were in public with said weapons so uh dave once once again he he can be really cutting uh Mm -hmm. with not saying too much oh for sure there's, there's a lot of good stuff in this
0: yeah, and to your point, um, a lot of times when Dave would be making a, a point about Eric Gardner or Philando Castile or about the Black Panthers, it would cut to like a picture of them, a video of the the killings of these people, which I think kind of just drove home the point further. Um, and we'll be talking about a movie that does a similar thing later on. But just really, I think the more that um, you know Dave Chappelle and other people of this stature are speaking out and bringing light to these issues and hopefully speaking well on these issues and, and using the, the evidence we have of these things, the stronger those points are driven home, and hopefully people continue to sustain action as we move forward. Dave Chappelle, man, uh, glad he spoke out, but let's let's transition here to some TV, right? So we went from YouTube now to television, and we're gonna start with what we do in the shadows, the FX vampire comedy. Season two just wrapped up. We uh, reviewed the first episode of season two. Um, you know, at, at the end of season one last year, I was left a little bit like, ah, this didn't really hit for me. I, I don't know if this is always my bag. I, I'm, I've am i come all the way around. Season This might be the funniest show on television, in my opinion, right now. Um, just every episode, I found myself in stitches for one thing or another. Um, I think Colin might be my favorite character on television right now. He's, it's just like so pointed to like uh, the worst type of people in society <laughs> and uh, just some great cameos from people this season as well. Um, so a lot to like. How are you feeling about season two?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think especially as you know, some of the more lauded HBO comedies this year have uh, or in the recent past have uh, concluded their runs. What we do in the shadows has kind of stepped up as being like the. Kind of top of the comedy throne. I really hope this gets some major Emmy love in a field that you know has lost stuff like Veep and Modern Family of recently, recent, recent. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just hilarious. I think what what really stands out to me is I always I continue to get amazed by how clever some of the jokes are <laughs> and 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 the scenarios that get set up. You know, and it's like sometimes I'd be like, all right, well, like vampires being in present day and not understanding. How society works—that'll eventually get old and wrote right. Well, it hasn't yet. It's still really funny and really well done. And like season one, it's a formula, a, 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 you know, a, a serialized nature that is really uh, easy to have cameos. And there are some really notable ones last year, of course, like Nick Kroll. And this year, you get Craig Robinson, and I think Mark Hamill really yeah. stands out this season. And. I think that that's always a good thing for a comedy to have because it can really keep the energy and keep the freshness while you have these low commitments that actors can make to your show showing up for a day or two of work. So that's awesome. And yeah, man, like it's just some funny shit. Like I think episode three really stood out to me. The superb owl. Mm-hmm. Something so simple about not understanding what the Super Bowl means and just reading it wrong, right? Yeah. And on top of that, you have Nadia actually having a relationship with the old old grandma the old mo- mom of the neighbor because again she's lived so long that she's actually been alive for this person's whole life and it's like oh wow such a simple concept that is once again right for really great comedy so yeah yeah, i mean it, 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 it's kind of i don't know how, how effective it is to just say the show is really funny all the time but it's just really funny
0: yeah there there were so many moments this season like i mentioned colin um it, his, his the episode where he gets a promotion i think it's episode mm-hmm. five and he his powers just keep growing oh my god it's so funny how like he gets promoted he's like worried about it and then he finds out that being promoted everybody has to cater to him and like react to his jokes he's able to suck more of the energy from people so good um also then the next episode on the run those two in the middle where you have mark hamill who's this vampire who's looking for uh matt barry's uh, laszlo to pay him a debt so matt barry just runs away and then becomes jackie daytona oh man i, I just want a whole season as jackie daytona now like i <laughs> thought that was hysterical how he loves girls volleyball <laughs> like high school girls volleyball um oh man I-, I just love those two episodes and so many of them uh you know and everybody i think it's moments to shine i thought the witches episode was also really funny near the end of the season um, especially when, uh, N- Nadja is like, uh, you had, you had sex with her? And he's like, she's a dark haired girl. I thought it was you. It's like, <laughs> then he's, they basically like go show all of them. And then, uh, what's it, the other vampire? I'm forgetting his name is, uh, yeah. He had sex Mandor. with me too. <laughs> yeah. Lando's was like, yeah, thought I was you too. Like <laughs> just the way it goes. Um, I think someone that really stepped up this season in terms of their role was Guillermo. Um, which. I think it has really great payoff at the end when he just mercs all the vampires when they're, they're going to um, kill the, the four there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked his arc throughout the season. I think him being uh, ha- like Van Helsing lineage right. and becoming this vampire slayer while also wanting to become a vampire. And like when he goes to the, the other become the familiar for the other uh, vampire, who's not actually one, all that shit was just so right, well done. Um, yeah, I, I guess there's really not much more to say other than the show's excellent.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm really I'm really hoping for some good Emmy love because it deserves it, and it's kind of the cream of the crop for comedies right now. Yeah. Also, shout out Jermaine
0: Clement, who um, uh, was in the final episode and directed a couple of these, and mm-hmm. his presence is always welcome.
1: So, Of course, the original movie as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Why don't we move on, though, to not a comedy per se, or I think we're going to talk about a game show or a dramedy around or a drama around a game show quiz on AMC, BBC original um, uh, airing on a- AMC in the States uh, written by um, James Graham and directed by Stephen Fre- uh, Frears? Frears. Frears? Um mm-hmm. Three episodes telling the story about this man in the UK who him and his wife and family found a way to cheat on who wants to be a millionaire. And he won a million dollars. Pretty crazy story overall that I really wasn't aware of. Nope. Um, Played uh, the main characters played by Matthew McFadden, who's Tom on uh, succession on HBO. And then his wife is Cian Clifford who's uh, the older sister in Fleabag, Claire. You know, I, I have mixed feelings about this show. I think there were moments that I thought were really well done and then some moments that I was I, I was left feeling a little bit confused in terms of what they what they wanted me to take away from from what was happening. But overall, I think that the story and the way that they told it was really well done and just overall like a solid show. How did you feel about this miniseries?
1: Yeah. Oh, I just want to note too. It actually wasn't on BBC. It was on ITV slash uh, Channel 3, one of the British broadcast networks, which may have been the same network that broadcast Who Wants to Be a Millionaire back in the early 2000s. Mm. Not sure about that. It sounds familiar, though. Uh, yeah. So I also was not familiar with this story. Um, I think it's, its closeness to the 9-11 attacks probably immediately separates it from the purview of the understanding of most americans i'd imagine at least in the way we learn things uh but yeah it's only a three-part series I already ran over in europe but three-part series based on the play too like kind of weird that this actually became a, a, a hmm. short-run play but i i, I like that it didn't have, have any really fat in the storytelling at all it's only three hours um although i actually was curious you know what, what this could have been if it was a little bit longer and we had actually more time with these characters and their motivations and stuff. Cause it moves at a pretty quick place. We're really just moving through the plot. Uh, but I honestly did really enjoy it because I think McFadden and Clifford were really well cast. They're in general, they're gen- in general just welcome presences and coming off. I think career highs, we could say with, with flea in succession. So just sure. seeing them just kind of be, be, be a couple is, is already a high floor like for a show. And it's just kind of cool uh, seeing his story play out because I didn't know about it. So mm-hmm. I guess in one sense, it's really just a dramatization of real, real events, real history in a certain sense. Like it, I don't know if there's a whole lot of like anything left under the hood, I guess. Maybe more episodes could have gotten there, not sure. But for what it was, I, I, I did enjoy it, just kind of seeing it play out. And Michael Sheen, also just a nice presence as uh, yeah. to Chris Tarrant, the host of the show.
0: I, I totally agree. I think the casting was really solid all around, especially Mcfadden and Clifford um as a couple. Um they really make Charles Ingram out to be this like oaf, you know, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um and I you know, I am I'm, I'm left a little yeah, I'm left a little bit unsure about that cuz in in reading further about him, uh several years after this happened, mm-hmm. he was discharged from the army for committing fraud. Um, right,
1: insurance fraud of some yeah. kind. Yeah.
0: So it, it seems like he may not be as innocent as they make him out to be, or maybe he really is just that much of a puppet in all these things. It's, I think I was left a little bit confused on what they were really trying to say about him.
1: Right. And I think that's what's interesting, too, is the first two episodes are really like the build-up to the deed, then the second episode is really just it all playing out. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing like the... Uh, m- Minute, what was the name of the machine that the minutes too fast? The fingers, the, the machine that oh, uh, you buzz yeah, in yeah. basically to get it in the chair. Fingers, yeah. Like we see that getting built and practiced on, and we learn about the uh, the syndicate, which in real life was called the consortium. That was mm. all that was basically real. Uh, Crazy, not made of, yeah. Uh, we learn all about that, right? And then in, C- in episode three, the the finale, the, the final episode, we learn that wait. Are we actually not supposed to believe this as it was told to us? This is not assumed as fact, and right. the lawyer they have gives a really convincing case in terms of like laying out the coughs and how it's all pretty circumstantial and certainly not beyond a reasonable doubt and the really evidence was administered. and like you're just like, wait a minute, I thought we were watching them, and I'm supposed to root for them to get away with it. You actually want me to believe they didn't even do it at all mm-hmm. or maybe uh you know ingram's wife was was just doing it with her brother right. and not. You know, like that—that that kind of threw me for a loop. And maybe if we had more time uh, with, with with the story, you could have established that like demarcation in the couple. It yeah. felt a little abrupt to me, but I still, I still, I still enjoyed it. Again, I think maybe because it was so tight, it's still pretty easy to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. It's a it's an easy show to watch. It's a really compelling story, and the acting is great. And I actually just wanted to shout out. Uh, Tristan Gravel who plays Adrian Pollack who's um, Diana Ingram's brother mm-hmm. kind of is like the person that kicks all this off yeah. you know
1: he sucks Just by real, the way.
0: yeah real <laughs> scumbag he's uh, he's bottom three with Sandy and uh, the other kid uh, that we hated this year uh, from oh, Jamie from yes, yes normal people, normal people. <laughs> fuck, fuck those guys um, yeah, not Rushmore
1: t- of poor television characters in 2020
0: you know an aspect of this I really liked was them showing the conception of who wants to be a millionaire. Yeah, that was so I I found that very compelling. And I I, I thought it was really cool how they even like had the guy like betting it like his own money, quote unquote, to like pitch the concept to him and how that actually became really intense. Um just really, really cool how they got all that. Got twenty
1: quid. I'm throwing up (laughs) one (laughs) twenty.
0: Um and and then when they they first put the show on the air and how like the first person that it really became intense with uh, I thought that was really cool. So uh, also, who wants to be a millionaire? Just great game show. You
1: remember watching it when it first came out? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with uh, Regis Philbin, I believe. Mm-hmm. For absolutely. us, um, so it did. It didn't it just come back in like a different form with Jimmy Kimmel and like celebrities? Yes. which kind of negates the whole tension for me because celebrities don't need the money. But I guess that kind of speaks to how game shows work is most of them have an inherent shelf life to the yeah. interest of the watching public. Just
0: just to note that they do give all their the money. They went to charity. OK, so,
1: um,
0: they're they play for charities. It's weird because there's no audience. Um, so instead of like a 50 50 now, they have a uh, ask Jimmy Kimmel or if they keep it to a certain point, they get a lifeline back. They
1: can use huh. the- all- Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I think it's kind of weird that there's I mean I guess Jeopardy is like it still is, is this trivia game right but you think like mm-hmm. trivia like bar trivia is a pretty big institution I'd say yeah. at this point in the western world so like why aren't there more trivia based game shows right like there's always like 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 um was it, at midnight that Chris Hardwick one kind of came and went like feel mm-hmm. like there's just not a lot of them it's just really Jeopardy's the only one that sticks
0: that's a good point you'd
1: think there'd be another one by now but there really isn't like wheel of fortune family Feud, they're not really that so
0: yeah jeopardy is just such an institution i think i think they really drive at uh, who wants to be millionaire captures that intensity of like risking something you know whereas uh, yeah i think it's hard to always get that back but no that's, that's a good point hmm. something to think about any last thoughts on quiz before we wrap up
1: uh yeah check it out i think it's definitely i think been under remarked upon here again it already aired in europe and now it's just kind of airing alongside a lot of other more high-profile shows here so Mm -hmm. it's already done now so i I didn't see a whole lot of conversation about it but i think people that do check it out will probably enjoy it yeah
0: also uh my least favorite part was when they they killed the dog so that was not a fan it
1: was an accident honey it was an accident
0: (laughs) um why don't we jump to h b o now we're gonna talk a little bit of i know this much is true unfortunately the HBO, <laughs> uh the h b o miniseries directed by derek c in france uh we reviewed the first episode a couple of weeks back six episodes wrapped up last night um heavy heavy watch dave um you know it, i was describing the events to my my Beyonce uh, and she just couldn't believe like I I was describing like what happened across four episodes she's like all that all this happened just in four episodes like yeah it's there's a lot going on here and most of it is really club baby yeah most of it's really painful uh, and emotionally uh, and it looks painful for for Dominic played by Mark Ruffalo um, who's really the main character this and his brother is uh, Thomas Thomas yes um, cuts off his hand in the first episode is I think diagnosed schizophrenic um, mm. paranoid schizophrenic um, it I, I think this is a really well done series i think there's some really good performances in here um, and i think the storytelling weaving in intergenerational trauma and pain and grief is really well told but when you when you really boil it down it's it's a heavy watch and i think it it just sometimes felt a little bit more like a chore for me um
1: were you feeling the same it's grief porn (laughs) and and just because it's serious subject matter doesn't make it good that's the problem like the acting's great mark ruffalo definitely getting nominated at the very least like it's an acting showcase for sure it's also pretty 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 well written although i'd say the use of narration throughout is a bit of a crutch. I, in general, I think narration—most people would say narration—is uh, not what you want to this degree. But uh, yeah, it, it looks good. You know, I, I do enjoy seeing uh, Poughkeepsie and other sites I know from my home on TV. I just wish it was in a show I enjoyed watching. That's the problem for me. You know,
0: because
1: yeah. <laughs> like Dominic yeah. through just about the whole show is just this miserable nihilistic person and you just can't stand the guy despite all the trauma he's gone through. And you learn more about, you learn the levels of trauma with the stuff with his, his baby and stuff. You learn about more of it as you watch the show. It just keeps compounding. But I don't feel any more sympathetic to him because he's just so miserable and you get why he's miserable, but it's like, it's just not fun to be with this dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it. Um, you know, if I had to like rank the toughest moments to watch or like the things that I found the hardest to watch, I think definitely uh, the baby dying suddenly, it seems like from Sid's, I don't think that was ever confirmed. But yeah, I believe that's pretty, pretty obvious. Um, I think the, uh, him kind of bullying that little girl uh, who ends up being murdered. It, it seems like murdered or uh, something nefarious happened there where she ends up dead. And then he, says that speech and it's so like hypocritical and uh i thought that was just really tough i mean and it's their kids so you can kind of shrug that off a bit and then his his what great grandfather or his grandfather killing that monkey i was just like i was out on the monkey i mean after he just like had his brother basically executed just like really tough uh stretch there um all, all the stuff in terms of like the old country stuff was really really mm-hmm. tough to watch um yeah i I don't know. I, I think I'm, I'm left being like, wow, this was really well made, really well acted, really well shot. Don't I really want to watch this again? And, um, I don't
1: know. Well, and that's the thing too is like, there is really serious punishing stuff that's really great. And I don't know, has a reason to be seen, you know, but this shit ain't Schindler's list. Not even close. Like it just, I just didn't find it profound. I just not find the way it wrapped up effective and again as we have been saying there's parts to like I also really liked Archie Punjabi we just saw in Run she was really good as Dr. Patel Rosie O'Donnell as the social worker I thought was excellent yeah but I think just the the specific narrative that we're getting um, I just don't think that's really satisfying thing I'm really kind of curious why his book became such a sensation back in like the late 90s or whenever it was Um, yeah I I I haven't read it I don't know but I'm just I don't see the appeal yeah it's funny the the parts
0: you're identifying that I agree with Rosie O'Donnell um Archie Punjabi I I think they resonate and feel so pleasurable to watch in a show like this because they are illuminating the aspect that you want to see in terms of character growth which you really don't get until the last episode you know which is where he finally like accepts his past accepts that he can't change these things that he can't um like take care of his brother all the time and that he's caused a lot of pain. I mean, like if you look at it, he's really been a major part of like several people dying, which is like pretty crazy to like, just yeah. kind of look at, um, he's 40 he kinda, though. Why do I right. care
1: about his redemption at this point?
0: <laughs> right. And like, I feel like if we had gotten a little bit more of that, that growth throughout and not just like him fighting against and fighting against and just like giving in after he loses his brother, almost like that weight is lifted. Um, and he can like say, okay, maybe we're not cursed. Maybe I'm just a fucked up person. Um, then you can come like uh, that. That scene where he said is talking to Catherine Han in the uh, in the hospital, and he like takes responsibility for their relationship falling apart after their daughter died. Um, I thought that was really really compelling. That's the real that they're probably going to show when they show Ruffalo's uh, Emmy nomination, mm-hmm. you know, later on. But there wasn't enough of that to really make it feel like this was something I wanted to stay engaged with.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, maybe if this was told, I'm sure in the book, it's told through Dominic's perspective, but the way we see it on TV, we already immediately see his faults and we see his inability to own up to things and present things the way they really are, right? So you're already, like, distanced from Dominic's perspective. You're just waiting for him to wake up and get it. Maybe if it was told in such a way where he was unreliable narrator and we actually learn over time that the way he thinks about things, remembers things is not how they actually happen. If he was done that way, it'd be more compelling or rewarding arc. I don't know if that's even possible the way the book's written, but yeah, I just, uh I, I have a really hard time recommending someone go through the first five hours to get to the sixth episode. So mm. disappointing uh. for me in particular, again, due to the, you know, the big to do that it was back home because it was filmed there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, well, I, I if you haven't watched it, if you want to uh, sit with some heavy themes, some heavy, some heavy times, go for it. If not, maybe this is one that you can just read the book and see if you get more out of it. Why don't we talk about HBO though? Issa Rae with Insecure season four wrapping up last night. Um. Insecure, best soundtrack on TV.
1: Yeah, For man. Sure. definitely my favorite one. Yeah, I, <laughs> banger would... after banger, baby.
0: And and just the the choices are so just like perfect. You know, it's it's never like a song that sounds good but doesn't really like fit the theme. It's always kind of um, it's always like just the right fit. I think I thought this was a really good season. I found the uh, the Issa Lauren stuff a little bit more. In compelling than it has been in past seasons, which I, I enjoyed. Um, but I do find myself feeling like, uh, these seasons keep running back the same core conflicts, right? And maybe all this is is a show about Issa and Molly and their friendship as, like, you know, actually being soulmates while they search for their, you know, partners. Um, but I think I am feeling a little bit like I feel like we're seeing some of the same stuff play out over and over. Um, but I think there's some new things to freshen it up, and I still really enjoy just being with these characters. Like the episode where they did the uh, the block party or that that concert, I thought was excellent, just like really awesome. Um, and just there's moments throughout where I find myself just being like, this the show is excellent. Um, how did you feel about season four?
1: Yeah, you know I did like that. I did like it. I think the conflict between Molly and Issa. Is really the central storyline mm-hmm. for the whole season. And this is the first season that's 10 episodes instead of eight. So we had a lot of time. And because it, I think it's it set up over time and really grounded in a lot of like, like it starts out with subtle digs and comments and side eyes and really progresses until it's in a really bad place. And they're just not really friends at that moment, you know? And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you're getting that as both characters have actually grown, right? I think that was a criticism in the beginning of the show. It's just like, are these people going to change? And Issa has gotten her shit together, right? She's a, being a successful public event planner and stuff like that, right? And are you working on the next gig? And and Molly is obviously killing it at work, but also progressing romantically, at least for yes. the time being. So between that, like they're growing together and yet they're growing apart in the process and seeing how that works. It's like, you get it. Um, I think that's weird because, like, you, you kind of get some good stuff woven in. It's kind of subtle, right? Like, you get Nathan coming back in. Nathan, I think most insecure fans liked Nathan the way Nathan goes out in the in you know past seasons, where he basically ghosts easily. You find out uh, Nathan realizes he is bipolar, and Issa feels bad about the way she handled that, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have signs all season that Tiffany is having postpartum depression, and it really mm-hmm. becomes a Moment of crisis in the finale. Um, those are really good moments. You know, I, it's funny. I was looking on Twitter and like, I think some people are like, oh, I thought Tiffany would have a man in that hotel room, and it's like, well, if you if you paid attention, you could tell she was off the whole time. I don't think yeah. it's because she didn't like Derek. Derek is like the best dude on the show. I think by far. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I think I think there's an issue with repeating uh, narratives or choices. It's because of Lawrence. Right. I think. the the reintroduction of Lawrence at the end of season three, well, I think was kind of an inflection point for the show because we realized they were going to close this circle as opposed to let Isa actually move on and have this guy leave. But because I think Jay Ellis really good looking dude, good actor. He stars on the rise. Makes sense that he came back to the show on that, that regard, but man, Lawrence is messy and we get some bombs in the finale, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The, uh, the Condola baby bomb, uh, mm-hmm. certainly um, a huge uh, issue to be brought up that kind of pushes Issa and Lawrence apart again, um, leaves Lawrence unsure what he's going to do in terms of like being with Condola, supporting a baby. Um, you know, I I felt like the final episode was a really strong one because I felt like the conversations... Felt so real, and that—that's another thing. Is I think the show does really well. Is the conversations always feel just like things you actually see and hear in your everyday life. Whether it's Molly texting Ethan by accident, you know, and being mm-hmm. like, "See him try and work with her." Like that felt so real in so Damn. many ways. Yeah. Um, the conversation between Ethan and Isa when Ethan told her that he was bipolar, I thought was really really good. Or even if it was like the way that they handled um, Andrew's brother being like suddenly racist. To Molly on the vacation, I felt like that all felt like yeah. things you see from, especially
1: you know. given the timing we're watching and it, It's like,
0: God, this yeah. guy just doesn't get it at all, yeah. does he? <laughs> totally. So I, I give a lot of credit for that. How are you feeling about the the bombs dropped in the final episode, though?
1: Yeah, well, it is it is kind of a two steps forward, one step back thing, right? Because right. like Lawrence, I think is definitely was a better presence or a more more likable presence on the show in season four because he has his shit together he's Mm -hmm. been employed a while and he's actually being successful right and and the issue with lawrence early on was like oh he's a good looking dude he dresses well when he has to but god he's just not motivated and that was how we introduced to that relationship and seeing that kind of just completely spiral because now he has a kid on the way and he Will he move to San Francisco? How can can Isa come to grips with having a relationship with someone who's about to have a kid with somebody else, even if they both want to stay together? Like you can understand all this conflict, but it's like because we went back to back to Lawrence effing up, it's like uh eh, it's frustrating. You know, I really like Andrew. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind if he came back somehow, you know, but, I, but you understand why him and Molly are now split because you saw the signs throughout the season. I think, again, the show does a really good job of showing relationships change over time. Everything feels earned. Um, so looking forward to Season 5. I remember going in the season, I thought this was the final season for some reason. I'm not sure why I thought that, but that's not true. Season 5 is coming, probably not coming until 2022, given the production delays, as uh, is commonplace at this point. But, yeah, I guess in a sense, we're kind of in a open place once again. It's like, are they going to, are, are Molly and Issa going to become friends by episode one of next season? And then we just do some other stuff? I don't know.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think the show so expertly um, handles drama and in, in comedy and then really balances it really well so that you're never fully one way or the other. Like it will be something super serious, like, Molly and Issa getting in a fight or uh, yelling at each other. And then someone's like, oh, she's reaching for a gun. And then everybody goes running and it's just like pandemonium. And even though that isn't funny, that that's kind of where things are at, I think the way that that they show it and it plays out and like the aftermath of it's pretty um, it's light humor. It's at least light hearted, if nothing else. Um, shout out Vince Staples. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, your guy just
1: dropping in, performing fun. Just say, from experience, there are not that many girls at a Vince Staples show. <laughs> Even a local show in LA, that is inaccurate portrayal. Let's leave it at that. Shout out to Mine. Yep. Chilling in that very same episode. You got oh, the... How did he say it? We got the... The, 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 the What happened the, to your accent? The judging branch and the money branch, the Bank of America, whatever he said. Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> we didn't give Lana Tasha Rothwell this season, though. No. But she did write um, episode eight and she'd co-wrote last season's finale as well and i noticed she had some producer credits as well but yeah i mean not a whole lot of her probably due to scheduling uh jay ellis did direct episode seven his first time doing that and carrie washington also directed episode nine so you know i think insecure the, the big the big highlight people gave it right from the start was that this is a, a show about black people by that black people and mm-hmm that obviously is still still true. Now it's also a great LA show. And you think you kind of get yeah. the union of that in that finale where you see the Kobe Bryant a, a mural, mm-hmm. you see the Nipsey Hussle court, you know, it's like, and the music choices of course are very, uh, in the culture. So yeah, man, insecure. And it's I think honestly quite popular. It, it really lights up Twitter every yeah. night. It's, it, it is a, a uh, week to week event for a lot of people, even if it's not like game of Thrones, you know,
0: totally. Um, you know, I do want to shout out the police interaction in the final episode. Uh, Got one in there. That was yeah. good. I hope more police handle situations like that. Please. Uh, but any last thoughts as we wrap
1: up? Good show. You know, it's funny. Lil Rel Howery already had a character on the show, but the whole time I just wanted TSA Bay, who good character. <laughs> I wanted him to be Lil Rel. Yeah. You know, maybe that's because of Get Out. I don't know. But. He
0: he's hilarious though. Yeah. Like, oh, the, when <laughs> when he comes up to Issa and Lawrence with his girl and oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um. All right. Why don't we move on to some away from TV, on to some movies. Judd Apatow this past weekend releasing a video on demand, The King of Staten Island, basically the the Pete Davidson story. Um, starring Pete Davidson, obviously. Um, Marissa Tomei, <laughs> Bill Burr, uh, Maude Epitau. Who else we got, I say? Mean, uh, Steve Buscemi. The- Ricky Velez,
1: the yep. comic, is one of his boys. Moises Aureus, the former Disney star, is one yep. of his boys. Lou Wilson from American Vandal is one of his boys. <laughs> uh, and then, what's his girl? Who plays girl? Uh, Belle Powley. Oh,
0: yeah, she's great.
1: She was great. I believe I did not know about her. She was on The Morning Show recently. But lovely Staten Island accent. He looks like Antonio Banderas. <laughs> she was great. Yeah, good uh, cast. Uh, yeah. Sneaky. Oh, and you said Buscemi? Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, and uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Tatro from American Vandal and Bad Education, yes. who once again is being typecast as the airhead guy. Yeah. I feel bad for him.
0: Nah, but he, he keeps getting those roles, though. So
1: The money uh, boy. <laughs>
0: yeah, keep, keep getting that work. Oh,
1: Action Bronson, too.
0: Yes! Oh my God, so good! Just like popping up at, uh, later I, on. In the, I in fell
1: in a thorn bush. So yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Definitely improv.
0: Oh you know, you're definitely going to die. Oh, you think so? No, I'll be good. <laughs> no cops. No cops. <laughs> um, I I really enjoyed the King of Staten Island. I, I felt like it was a little bit long and maybe dragged at a couple of parts, but I thought it was really funny. And I thought Bill Burr and Pete Davidson were fantastic. I'd never seen either one of them give performances like they gave in this, um, which I think speaks to not only how much Pete put of himself into this script and this role, but also Burr just been this, you know, a comics comic top tier guy for a while, really getting to display some acting chops with, I think, probably his biggest role. So we've seen him in, Breaking Bad with some bit parts and, you know, some small rules here and there. But he really gets a lot to work with here, especially alongside Marissa Tomei. I think they have great chemistry as a couple in this. So just some really good performances. What were you most struck by with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would already been kind of coming around and rooting for Pete's film career after Big Time Adolescence, which came out back in uh, March, right when quarantine started on Hulu. And it's been clear that Pete has good acting chops, but to this point, he really is still kind of playing similar versions of the same character, largely what we associate with him being himself. And now having this film come out, which is obviously semi-autobiographical, lots of pretty easy-to-grasp touchstones to what we know about Pete Davidson in terms of the death of his dad and uh, his mental health and things like that. Drug use, I guess, as well, type of humor he likes to use all that kind of stuff but uh it still makes sense and maybe we'll learn in time that this is like the breadth of pete davidson's acting range still uh but Dre's still out on that well how much farther he can go as, as as an actor but to your point he does kind of i think do a lot here you know um the way it handles mental health in this movie is quite subtle. It's never explicitly laid out in the script. It's really more about the way Pete delivers his lines and the way characters talk about uh, his character. And I really like that. And to your point about Bill Burr, he's also someone that I haven't really thought much of anything about as an actor, but he just seems to be getting more and more roles He's on Mandalorian Mm -hmm. uh, last year, you know. But uh, he was honestly perfectly cast as a bit of a deadbeat firefighter guy who has his own issues and yeah i think you I think you're right the the chemistry between pete and burr is the key and they both are able to run with apatow dialogue and improv as necessary so that also that all really works and really meshes together but the movie because it's semi-biographical i guess maybe because it's a long apatow movie like funny people uh there's a lot of heart to it and a lot of dramatic stuff it's really more of a dramedy you know it's not like knocked up there's not like joke after joke after joke it's not one of those apatow films Mm -hmm. and i think it's just going to resonate with people when they watch it because it's uh it just kind of comes together in a great way
0: yeah no i agree i think um a point i really liked they made was how mental health is portrayed in this but not really spoken about you know like you see when marissa tomei tells pete he needs to move out or scott that you know the character scott they needs to move out how he's like really angry at first and switches to like what did i do like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry it's like that quick switch to like that fear they go, he kind of reversed back to that like seven-year-old when he lost his dad in that way and i also like that they really set this up um with uh the heart of it being should These heroes, these first responders, who put their lives on the line every single day, might not be coming home every single day, should they have families? And because of the impact it can have on them, and kind of Scott grappling with that question and kind of coming around on it through his experiences with Bill Burr, not his dad, but this this person who takes on a bit of like a fatherly figure in his life um, and connects him with other like fatherly and, and brotherly figures through. The fire department, um, and I. Th- I thought the scene where they really set that up when they go to the Staten Island Yankees was a really, really good scene. I think they, they, the acting in that is done really well because Pete kind of like lets them have it, and they like push back, but not in a way where it's like, "Yo, shut the fuck up." They're like, "Ah, whatever." Like, yeah, you, you know, you can have your opinion. Yeah, just so well done. and Buscemi, I think, is like the perfect like heart of the movie. So to speak, in that, like the grandfatherly figure kind of helping mm-hmm. build Bernard's yeah and then uh, helping Pete Davidson's character navigate all this just really expertly written and well done um, how did you feel about that as like the central like driving plot point i guess throughout the story
1: i think through knowing the story of Pete Davidson the guy mm-hmm. which i assume most people that are watching this movie are doing it because of Pete's celebrity or their big Apatow fans. But like, we kind of know this about Pete because it's been such a central part about his comedy and his career to this point. The fact that he can be so self-deprecating and open about personal tragedy and stuff like that. That's kind of like the whole, the whole it of Pete Davidson, right? So we kind of know that and you kind of sense that it's going to be semi biographical biographical especially when you watch the trailers and you realize that the firefighters are gonna come in mm-hmm. so I, I guess I wasn't like wowed by any of like plots but I think just because the theme themes are, are handled and I think a really warm effective way it's still an enjoyable watch even if nothing's gonna really like take you by surprise mm-hmm. so it's well put together
0: did you feel like um did you feel like the uh use of like that that theme and like just Scott overall struggling with that was um effectively like softened by his interactions with the kids? You know, because I, I actually found those moments really endearing when he's like walking Bill Burr's kids to school and he's like really pumping up the daughter for her singing ability and uh Harold, I think the bro- the brother for his yep. I thought that was a really like humanizing like way to to help that character grow and soften a bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that was really good and it was it was kind of abrupt to how when, I believe it's when he gets kicked out by his mom that he's like, alright, fine, fuck it, let's go rob the pharmacy mm-hmm. after being so against it. That kind of felt like a weird tonal shift and I yeah. guess because we subtly are supposed to believe he has perhaps bipolar or something along those lines that that would explain the sudden mood shift when he faces some uncertainty. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think the stuff with the kids was well done. Harold was actually kind of funny, you know, and yeah. and having that build up with uh, he shows his dad the drawing, the drawing of Iceman. Was that what mm-hmm. he called? he just call him Iceman? Yeah. Now I was expecting Pete to be like, he can't, you can't do that. We already have that guy. He's on the X Men. I thought he was just going to be like you can't invent this guy he's already invented but that's not the joke yeah. he made <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: um it, I, and i also thought that was great to like show that pete actually is competent at something or scott is competent at something in this story because you mm-hmm. kind of see his tattoos and there's a couple that are good but most of them there's like something really off about them whether it's the eyes which you can just never get right he doesn't too dark or uh you know like not be able to like draw the the you know com- the the tattoos well enough to get a job at the parlor and i think that was a moment where you kind of see the movie shift because bill burr also that is more like oh this kid actually has potential and could be something and maybe i should give him a second shot um i do agree about the tonal shift i felt like a lot of the stuff if there was one part that I maybe would have just cut out would have been that whole robbery but i think they needed to have those friends in jail so that pete didn't have anywhere else to stay right that's kind of yeah that makes sense like why that had to happen um but then i thought all the stuff at the at the firehouse was excellent really engaging i thought where it ended up was good too it didn't have like that moment where there was like that super light bulb moment but you kind of see him allowing himself to have something good in his life by the end in terms of the relationship Mm -hmm. with his girlfriend and um ending with Pursuit of Happiness playing as he looks up at the New York City Manhattan skyline. Very cool ending, I thought.
1: And they use another Cuddy drop, uh, Just What I Am, to start the film mm-hmm. too, which also is a bit meta because we know Pete Davidson's a huge Kid Cuddy fan. Um, those are both good musical cues, both effective. Uh, I thought one of the more jarring ones was when they're about to do the fights at the, the restaurant after hours. Uh, they drop 5 eo 4 Big Drip yeah I was like you that shit is not being played at some Staten Island ass restaurant. I'm sorry,
0: yeah, that and they play explosions in the sky when they do like the firefighter scene it it just felt like I don't know if it was not edited in well enough for me. I just felt like a bit of like a jarring moment with that that drop, but overall, I mean very little that I would take away from this movie. I think this is an achievement, and just feels like Pete's stock keeps rising, so i'm I'm. Gonna buy now and sell later if, if I need to, but he's
1: twenty five, twenty six, like Something like that, yeah. Maybe he's what, ninety-three, ninety-two? 90.
0: He got the yeah. the shout out in the Chappelle special we talked about, eight forty six.
1: Yep, yeah, he's p Pete Davidson's twenty six and yeah, it's time for him to get off SNL. He's an actor and he's not a big part of SNL as it is, so what are we doing here?
0: Yeah, I agree. His stand up probably the least favorite thing I've seen him in the last year, so few more movies, please. Um, any last thoughts before we move on?
1: To the first photos. Apatow film in 5 years. Kind of sneakily been a while for when he actually directed. He did a lot of TV and stuff of late, but train First Trainwreck. Train yep, 2015. Yeah. This is
0: a good uh, avenue for Apatow, letting these up-and-coming comedians uh, kind of write their story and helping them tell it, I think is he's really good at that. So we'll see. We'll see what he does next. But let's jump to someone who's made a movie a lot more recently. Spike Lee made Black Klansman just a brief, but two years ago, 2013. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, Two years. And he dropped the five bloods on Netflix just this past week uh, or this past Friday, not even a week ago. We watched it. I think we both liked it. But did we love it, Dave? Did you love this movie?
1: Yeah, I thought it was great. Honestly, I thought it was really <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, it's, no, it's a it's a long film that doesn't feel long. Like I, I think it really, really nails everything Spike's going for, and is also quite similar to Black Lands, but in terms of the way it ties into current events and stuff. But yeah, I thought Five Bloods was awesome.
0: I completely agree. I'm actually um, probably going to be processing this live because I just think there's so many like. Themes and and metaphors that are told throughout this story. You know, in terms of of blackness and black society, as well as uh, United States government, uh, United States at war as an you know imperialist almost. I guess it wasn't imperialist uh, war in Vietnam. I don't know if that's how you would refer to it, but certainly as Invading their, you know, the stopping communism.
1: That's right. what we were doing back then.
0: <laughs> if, if that's what you want to call it, I'm I'm with it. Um, but I guess just to kind of break this down, you know you have these these five uh, black soldiers in the Vietnam War: uh, Paul Otis, Eddie Melvin, and storm and Norman, uh, who mm-hmm. is not what in you know in the Modern story that's being told, but in the flashbacks, uh, who are sent to recover the what uh, the, whatever's being brought by this plane in Vietnam, the CIA plane that was shot mm-hmm. down. They go to get it, they find out that it was gold that was going to be given to the people in uh, the village who were helping the, the American soldiers at that time. Yeah. They uh, lose Storm and Norman in the counterattack by the, the Vietnam Army. VC. Um, and then they lose the gold, so they they go back what fifty years later to mm-hmm. re- recover death. it. They find it, and it's kind of about their their journey through Vietnam and uh, to recover this gold. I was, I was got I gotta say, I think all the performances are really good, but you gotta start with Delroy. Delroy Lindo as Paul just I think steals the show with this. He gets the most to do, obviously too, but I think his character um, just. blew blew me away how did you feel about Delroy Lindo in this
1: oh yeah Uh, Paul is the most important character on uh, in the movie and that's because he's representing so many things at once right he's a black Trump supporter Mm -hmm. which is a rare but real thing you know I think about 10 12 percent of black men voted for Trump in 2016 Um, you and and why they did you know it, 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 those reasons are very deep and intricate intricate right on top of that Paul is a veteran suffering from some severe forms of PTSD like most Vietnam vets did and on top of that once again he also was kind of unable to lose the antagonism and xenophobia that he had when he was in Vietnam You see that he's still using racial slurs towards mm. the Vietnam people he's encountering when he returns and stuff like that right and I think Paul is so he's just so rich he represents so many things in the film and it all really kind of comes home at the end when he's giving a direct to camera monologue when he's alone in the jungle at the end and yeah and, and Delroy of course is, is, just, is just totally committed to it and mm. honestly really great and watching him devolve and take control of the group and then go off on his own it, i i was kind of blown away that was awesome
0: and i thought i think the way that the character is revealed throughout the story is really well done
1: because like you said some
0: of those things are kind of at the forefront that he's a, a blackmail trump supporter that he is suffering from a uh, severe form of ptsd um, that he i think he has other mental health issues uh, that are definitely you know coming up well He's journeying through the jungle, but then when you kind of see why or where some of this comes from, this hardenedness, you know, how he lost his wife when his son was born right. and she was like one of the, the only things in his life that he really felt like he loved the other person. He, think he felt like he loved was storm and Norman and he accidentally shot him when uh, the via Viet- Vietnam uh, counteroffensive came for the, the downed plane and the guilt that he has from that. And, um seeing that all kind of those layers be pulled back and watching Delroy's uh, Paul devolve as you're learning these things and then kind of come to some sense of peace before he gets absolutely Swiss cheese at the end just um i thought it was expertly told by Spike Lee extra expertly performed by Delroy Lindo i mean if it, i know that they pushed the academy awards back but i feel like he's got to be up there for a nomination cuz blew me away with that performance. What other performances really struck you from this film?
1: Uh, I really like Norm Lewis. Mm-hmm. I thought he was pretty good. He also represents, like, there's a lot going on in Five Bloods, right? Like, he's bringing, like, opioid dependence by veterans into the film, right? There's so much stuff, right? He's also bringing biracial relationships mm-hmm. into this. And I think something that a lot of people don't know about in terms of, like, the racism uh black uh asians uh faced you know after what was like thirty thousand uh black gis had kids over in vietnam over 10 years like that's kind of like a piece of history like that we don't really get taught a whole lot about like the with soul alley right and that's another thing it's just kind of in the movie and it's done in a really warm way and i really liked how how that all comes together and norm lewis was you know our Sorry, not I'm thinking of Clark Peters. Clark Peters is a, is just kind of a like veteran presence, just having him be there and sell all these different themes, especially as he's kind of the one butting heads with Delroy when oh. things start to go south. Really liked him too. But, yeah. uh, it's interesting because I was looking into this and initially they were targeting Samuel L. Jackson, Giancarlo Esposito, and Don Cheadle for some of the lead roles. And mm. they all, uh, didn't come together i think esposito was actually announced for the film and had to drop out so those are obviously much more famous black actors than the ones we have here a lot we're, these are a lot of character actors that are in this mm. film but uh don't really mind i thought the, everyone was really good
0: yeah no i agree you know it, clark peters i think especially for me really stood out and i i thought it was interesting um to see the the two ways that that these kind of characters go about something right so norman as norm storm and norman to these guys it's kind of like this idealistic yeah soldier to them the and martin this, and the
1: malcolm as they right
0: say. exactly and that's the thing is that you either have that that idea of like we need to fight back and push back, and don't trust anybody, and take things with force. Or we work together. We rely on our allies, and we kind of come together to beat some bigger force. As like these general undertones about how the group splits up after Eddie's death. Um, and I thought that was just really, uh, really fascinating, and especially with Paul's son David, played by Jonathan Majors, choosing to go. You know, against his father in that sense Mm -hmm. and kind of um, portraying those different generations, seeing different ways of going about things and about how isolation doesn't really work if you want to achieve these goals or, or overcome these obstacles. So I thought that was really fascinating how it played out. I actually was a bit sad that Chadwick Boseman had such a small role in this. I was hoping to see him get a bit more time to shine, but I thought everything, every time he got to perform, he was great.
1: Yeah, he really sells it because I think one of the uh, cool things with this movie that Spike does is there's four different aspect ratios, and we Mm -hmm. go all the way down to a uh, 16 millimeter shot when we're going back to our flashbacks when we're actually in the jungle fighting in Vietnam. And Chadwick, just kind of the energy he's bringing to the role of Storm and Norman, because we're again, we're we're learning about him through everyone else's memory. again, like it, it's a really idealistic person, mm-hmm. and I think Chadwick, he's given a lot of speeches in his career, and he's just kind of really good at orating uh, the themes of a movie to you, right? And I think probably my favorite part with him is when you get a Hanoi Hannah, giving the propaganda, letting them know that Martin Luther King was assassinated, mm-hmm. and then seeing all their rage, right? Mm-hmm. And again, another thing that Five Bloods is doing is is explicitly telling you about the racism that black GIs face, both in the army and of course when they went back to America and oh. just kind of seeing that rage after uh King's killed and Norman kinda of backing everyone off the off the ledge, right? It's just mm-hmm. like yeah, Ch- Chadwick was fantastic and I actually really liked him uh right at the end too when he uh, comes back uh in kind of like in a vision to yeah. To, Delroy to Delroy and he's like, we "Gotta talk about this blood and he, <laughs> like, he lifts up his shirt and then he realized that uh, he was got but that friendly fire mm-hmm. so yeah man he was really awesome shot Jonathan majors man he was fucking jacked in this man I don't yeah. know if he was always Jack because in black man in San Francisco he's wearing that big baggy suit the whole time mm-hmm. but God he was ripped <laughs> yeah. he really stood out <laughs>
0: And I really loved the scene where he stepped on that trip mine and he's just kind of like waiting there after Eddie gets blown up and um, you know, Paul, his dad comes over and they're talking about who is the sprinter at Morehouse. Um, Right. Crap. I'm forgetting his name, but the way that they're talking about like how he took 13 strides instead of 15 between all the hurdles hurdles. and he could Mm -hmm. fly. I was like, Oh man, this is really, and then they, they, they cut back and they show it, you know, and that's something else they do a lot, a lot. And they, Spike did in Black Klansman as well would be that when they would talk about something that happened in the past or referring to something that, you know, a person, they would actually show the person and cut back and show footage or a picture or something like that. So I thought that was, just, I thought that was a great scene, but also a great, um, touch from Spike throughout this, um, shout out Paul Walter Hauser. Of course, uh, coming off you know his performance as Richard Jewell, um, getting that that bit role, but still just find him always funny whenever he's on the screen. I also really Good. liked um, uh, Melanie Theory who played Hetty. Yeah. I thought she was great. I don't know what else. Uh, Soundtrack was awesome. I, this is something I actually
1: wanted to bring up. Yeah, Marvin Gaye is a big presence. Yes, uh, in in this film, in the beginning, and the end. Um, I saw people joking about two nominations for supporting actor, Delroy Lindo and Marvin Gaye.
0: Man, when they isolated his voice and what's going on, as you know, Paul starts to walk through the jungle and they, uh, the other bloods go their own way, I just, man, I thought that was so well done. Um, got goosebumps watching that scene. And I thought just the, the use of Marvin Gaye as like this this voice embodying that time, but also like the message to now and how relevant this all still is unfortunately was um really really just great by spike i mean this this is him at at his strongest i feel like
1: yeah and and that's the thing too this is the most expensive movie spike lee's ever made 35 45 million dollars and he pitched this to every studio in the town and no one wanted to make it so he made it with netflix and notable no de-aging effects for those flashback scenes deep guys are just playing themselves once again and they look exactly the same age and it just doesn't matter because that's how we used to film flashbacks just mm-hmm. or you know so
0: until the very end when they show that picture of them at the very sure. very end
1: but right yeah, Which, no. if you don't have autoplay disabled you're not going to see that yeah that post credits but yeah I mean this also this was pan, uh, planned to have a, a con uh, out of competition uh, premiere too and obviously that was Kaput due to covid um but I saw I was number one on Netflix's top ten on Sunday, so mm. i'm a I'm curious just how many people are going to be watching this because Spike Lee's made a lot of movies, some of them have been, have been hits like Black Klansman and Inside Man, a lot of them have not been hits, you know, he's kind of almost i think at, at his most mainstream right now and obviously being on the front page of Netflix certainly helps in that regard. Um, you know, another thing I was thinking about too is, you know, the gold, the big framing of the movie and the plot, um, that's quickly positioned as like it's a form of reparations for mm. these black vets that obviously uh as I think Delroy puts his uh had a hard time when they came back from the war, right? And um I thought that was interesting. And then seeing that come Back into the fold at the end, when the uh, Vietnam guys that are sent to get the gold instead from Jean Renault, they're like, "No, this, this is this is ours. This is through the Vietnamese." And like, they kind of saw it as reparations for their their people as well. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, I was kind of thinking, you know, like, this kind of reminded me of like Nazi gold and like mm-hmm. the ethics of the spoils of war and stuff like that. Again, there's just so many themes to this, and even though the movie's two and a half hours long. Doesn't feel long because there's so much to go through. Um, and the film uses so many, uh, I think, important flashbacks, um, history clips and stuff at the beginning and the end, a lot like Black Klansmen. But I think really from it was really effective in the beginning for the Five Bloods because you get hamad Ali talking about why he wouldn't go fight. Yep. And then you get LBJ and you get Nixon speeches, you get Black Panther speeches, you get LMX, you get. The assassina- uh, the famous assassination clip of the guy getting shot in the head in Vietnam, right? Like, there's so many, like uh, the rape of Nan King. There's so much really visceral shit right in the beginning, and um, Spike. I, I always liked that about what Spike's doing of late. I think some people don't don't appreciate the lack of subtlety with it, but I I kind of like how he's able to weave a movie with so many themes around this kind of historical highlight reel. So. Yeah, man. I think the movie's awesome.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um probably my favorite movie of the year. Um it's it's right up there with Portrait of Lady on a Fire, which technically is a twenty nineteen movie, but I'm counting for twenty twenty. <laughs> um you know, I I wanna just shout out that they uh filmed this in Chi Minh City, a lot of it. Um uh Bangkok and then Chiang Mai and I appreciate that it felt very much like they were, you know, there. Like, I obviously wasn't directly, um, you know, uh, on location, but I think close enough where you really got that feel that they were in an Asian location, which I appreciated. I mean, there's nothing more I have to say. This this movie fucking rocked.
1: Yeah, I guess the only thing um, quibble with is like, I think everyone saw the landmines coming up. You know, you saw that coming. When, uh, Gorm Lewis steps on one the diets, kind of like operatic thing, it's like, and here we go, boom. Like, yeah, because we had the red herring when you meet the people that are there to get rid of landmines. It's like, all right, didn't mind it though, because it's really effective in the way they tell the story. Um, and I guess the other thing is the way they find the gold is super coincidental, right? Uh, yeah. Jonathan Majors is going to take a piss. And he's, or take a shit. And he's gonna dig, dig, and he digs right onto the bar, right? And then like, oh wait, here they are. There's that canyon from the battle. <laughs> We're right here. We almost got it. So it's was like, that was that was a little uh, circumstantial, but it's a movie. It's fine. No, for sure.
0: Uh, uh, certainly, I think a, a fair critique of it. But uh, honestly, man, I, I thought this was great. Quick question. So Spike Lee, obviously a very famous director, finally won an Academy Award, 2019 mm-hmm. Oscars. Uh, where where's this in your Spike Lee favorite films? I mean, I think Do the Right Thing, probably my favorite, and then Black Klansman, then this for me, but it's mm. all really close.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of like the really lauded early stuff like Crooklyn or Clockers. I haven't seen those. Um, but yeah, there's there, I mean, there's kind of like a, a apex for him, right? It's Do the Right mm. Thing, Inside Man, Malcolm yep. X.
0: No, that's those, right. are
1: pro- those are probably the biggest ones. Those yeah. are the biggest hits, the most well seen, most widely seen ones. Uh, he got game, also very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I still need to see a lot of his movies, but it's up there. I thought this was honestly works on just about every level. And I again was just blown away by just how many different important and still resonant themes he's able to weave into the story. So yeah, it's up there. And the, the thing about Spike Lee, like I was saying, he's, he's just about as mainstream as he's ever been. Yeah. And, and it's weird, but that also tells you a way uh, movie making works. He's coming off of one of his biggest hits that he won an Academy Award for, and he still can't get this movie made by a traditional studio. And it's only, only costing 35 to 45 million dollars. It's not actually that expensive. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Anyways, I think we'll, we'll wrap up there. Watch the Five Bloods, watch King of Satin Island, watch Insecure. Don't watch I Know This Much I Know <laughs> no, <laughs> This Much no. is True. Um, watch Quiz and watch what we do in the shadows. And also Dave Chappelle. We like, we like most of what we talked about today. That's cool. What uh-huh. do we got for next week, though?
1: Phoebe Bridgers album, the savior of rock music. Close to it, I guess. Uh, the debut of the last hbo new HBO show for a while, Perry Mason miniseries with Matthew Reese. Um, interested in Wasp Network, Penelope Cruz Netflix film that was on the festival circuit last year and we got the politician season two ryan murphy and netflix ben platt that's debuting on friday we'll talk about that in a week or two um that's about it though yeah i got a smoke perp album if you're interested i don't have a lot of notes right now
0: <laughs> well if you uh if you want to get all that right in your earbuds and in your earballs, subscribe uh on itunes nostalgia pod go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and listen to this any way you want to share it with friends at nostalgia pod on twitter and if you live in new york and this is tuesday the 23rd next week you got to go vote so educate yourself vote jamal bowman see you next week